Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. Journalist Arnold August. He is the writer and author of Democracy in Cuba in the 1987 to 1998 elections, Cuba and its neighbors, Democracy in Motion, Cuba versus U.S. relations, uh, Change and Beyond. I'm so delighted to have you on our program. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure for me to be with you once again, Sylvia. Now, the world has seen many changes since the world of, you know, uh, Fidel Castro, where we saw a small nation demonstrate to the world that uh, people committed to its own democracy could not only face the aggression of an imperial power like the U.S., but could also set an example for the world. What were some of the lessons we learned from Cuba? And I want to context this with the experience we're having with Venezuela today. Okay, first of all, with regards to Cuba, um, not everyone appreciates it, but the main feature that we can learn from Cuba is here in a country such as Canada, that we have to deal with the, with the capitalist system, not get caught up, uh, for example, with regards to different political parties or personalities. Like, it's interesting to note in a, in a statement issued by uh, the uh, Cuban Friendship Association a, a few months ago, they mentioned that the most important thing for people outside of Cuba, learning from Cuba, is to deal with the question of the system. And in countries such as Canada, and even more so in the United States, people who are even friends of Cuba, they seem to have forgotten this lesson, that the in, in issue is not, uh, for example, Trump or Biden or Sanders and all that. It's the system that has to be dealt with. And the problem with dealing with individual political parties or personalities, whether it's in Canada or United States or other capitalist countries, it's not just a diversion. It sort of sucks up the energy from the growing revolutionary movement against imperialism and capitalism. So instead of rather than people working out their own plans based on their own initiatives against the entire system and organizing in that context, uh, the tendency, unfortunately, is to get cut off into the conversation or into the uh, uh, debate of who is, which is the lesser of two evils, etc. I, I think this is the main feature that I see from Cuba that we could learn from today. And Venezuela is a, it's a different case. Venezuela is um, it, it's much uh, this revolution is much uh, younger than the Cuban one. But I think that. In my view, I have a very definite positive experience in Venezuela, which I'd like to share with you and your list. Caracas in July 2019, only several months earlier, in January 2019, according to the United States, the Lima Group, uh, such as uh, members such as Canada and Colombia, they all said that it's a question of time 
they're going to overthrow the Maduro government. They were saying that in January 2019. And as I mentioned, in July 2019, who would have thought that the very city, Caracas, that was supposed to be in the hands of the United States and its allies, was supposed to have Chavismo and the spirit of the Bolivar Bay Revolution after the start of that slow motion coup against Maduro, that Caracas became the center of the world anti-imperialist socialist revolution. And what I think, if I may go on just to mention that, I've been thinking about this over the last few months, especially since we've been having very close ties more than ever with the uh, Bolivarian Revolution through its Minister of Foreign Affairs, Jorge Ariasa. And my view is that one year later, Venezuela or the Bolivarian Revolution is still the epicenter of the world socialist anti-imperialist movement. Why do I say that? Because, for example, when Ariasa spoke to us uh, just a, uh, a, a, a few days ago uh, in the Zoom conference with them, he mentioned how important it is for us in Canada to fight our own struggles against the system. In other words, Venezuela sees us in Canada as uh, fighting on the same wavelength, if you like, them against their system, against imperialism, and in Canada ourselves as well against the system, and in this case, Canadian imperialism. Venezuela is unique in that sense. For them, solidarity is different than what we normally see. It's sort of a, I don't want to be too uh, depreciating, but a, a sort of a Mother Teresa solidarity, in the sense that you, we're in solidarity with another country. But with Venezuela, I think it's quite different. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I see it this way. With Venezuela, it's a mutual uh, collaboration, exchange between, on the one hand, here in Canada, revolutionaries, people who have a left tendency on the one hand, and with the Bolivarian Revolution on the other hand. There is a mutual exchange on the same footing between two different countries and two different peoples. You're right to point out that our struggle is not against one particular government, whether it's a liberal party or a conservative party, whether it's a, you know, Trump versus Biden, but rather the system and the systemic violence that is inherent within that system. The capitalist system has been supported and maintained by classes, policies, by racist practices that lead to police brutality, as we see it exemplified by the you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, by the I Don't Know More movement here in Canada, by the many struggles of people fighting against imperialism and also colonization within our own countries. So can, exactly. we, ta can we talk a little bit about the modes of violence, though, that continuously distract us from this idea that what needs changing is the system? I, I think that uh, one thing that that we could deal with together, Sylvia, uh, because it's in the news today, is the question of Canada and Venezuela. Canada, I, I'd like to, you know, completely uh, deconstruct the Canadian or Trudeau myth that Canada is a, is a peaceful country and they're looking for a peaceful solution in Venezuela. This is completely false. And this is where if people fall into this trap, it's because of this issue, as we mentioned before, getting caught up in different personalities and different political parties. Perhaps the liberals are better than conservatives and all that. But the fact is, Sylvia, that Canada 
is at war. They say they're peaceful peaceful, um, they have only peaceful uh, intentions for Venezuela. But in fact, there is a war carried out by the United States and its allies, such as Canada, against Venezuela. I see a war. It's a multi-hybrid war. First of all, it's an economic war with crippling sanctions, and Canada has its own set of sanctions against Venezuela. Secondly, it's a political war. All over the world, everyone is trying to convert different countries, different governments against the Maduro government. Thirdly, I would say there's a media war going on in Canada. The Canadian media, almost 100% of the mainstream media, has been carrying out a nonstop disinformation campaign against Maduro, demonizing him as if he's the devil, the evil in the world of today. And there's also the diplomatic war, whereby uh, Canada refuses to recognize the uh, legitimate government of Maduro and is latched on to this you know, uh, completely uh, irrelevant clown, Guaido, and named him, uh, called, uh, named him as the legitimate government of Venezuela. So you have this uh, hybrid war going on against Venezuela over the last few years. Now, in that context, we also have the danger coming up once again of uh, actual military intervention. So I'm talking about military intervention against Venezuela. There was an attempt Last May 2019, May 3rd and 4th, 2019, I don't know if you recall what, what they call Operation, Operation Gideon, where you had a handful of mercenaries led by former American Marines Green Beret and a private mercenary group based in Florida with a, a couple of dozen individuals who have des- had deserted the Venezuelan army, an actual attempt of a military invasion through the uh, high seas. It didn't work, it failed because the uh, Venezuelan people, the people on the ground caught them red-handed and those who were captured, including two American Marines, they admitted, and we have that on tape, that this was actually organized, carried out, carried on with the collaboration directly of Trump. Now, what is of interest to us here is that this actually took place now, did Trudeau, who's supposed to be in favor of a peaceful solution in Venezuela, did he see anything against that brazen attempt of a military invasion by the United States through its uh, allies in Colombia? He did not say anything against it. However, in my view, what he said the next day after that, rather than saying, well, we oppose you know, this military intervention, we're in favor of a peaceful solution, instead, his foreign minister, François-Philippe Champagne, issued a tweet saying he just had a conversation. This is the day after the attempted invasion. We just had a, I just had a pleasant conversation with my uh, colleagues from Colombia and Brazil, and we discussed the issue of the crisis in Venezuela. Now, I ask you, Sylvie, by saying that the day after the coup, isn't that an indirect way of saying that they supported that intervention, that military intervention? Only a couple of days later, the, uh, he had a similar statement saying how they're working very closely together with uh, Guaido and his allies there to bring a, a solution to the crisis in Venezuela. So I think it's important that the media knows that Canada, far from being in favor of a peaceful solution, that the Canada actually, in an 
indirect manner support these military invasions. And there's another one that is being worked out right now as we speak, Sylvia. And that is, it was, only indi- it was indicated a few days ago that the uh, head of the South, uh, Southern Command of uh, American Armed Forces said that they're planning a surprise in October against Venezuela. What is that surprise in October? Just before the November 4th U.S. presidential elections. Surely to try to deviate uh, people in the United States from uh, the negative impact of, uh, of policy and his reputation to try to show how strong he is uh, on the international front by trying to get rid of Maduro. Now, this is taking place, actually discussing it as a possibility of an invasion taking place in October, what they call uh, an October surprise. And I, I think it's not an accident that just a few days ago, Trump said that the problem with the Democrats is that if the Democrats take over, it would be just be Venezuela all over again in the United States. Of course, he knows that's not true. I think he's trying to set the stage to have Venezuela as, a, as an excuse to organize another military invasion against Venezuela. Now, this is no publicly. You know, I've written about it, and my uh, articles have been uh, tweeted uh, to uh, Trudeau, to Champagne, and other leaders. They know about it, but they are not saying anything about it. And even the Canadian media and them also are aware of this uh, plot that is being organized, but they are silent about the whole thing. In order, for what reason? So I think that just to maintain the false notion that Trudeau is a good guy, that is in favor for, of a peaceful solution to Venezuela. Well, if Canada is really in favor of a peaceful solution in Venezuela, they should have openly denounced the May 3rd, May 4th uh, maritime invasion into Venezuela. And also right now, when it's been openly said uh, as a policy of the American government for an October surprise against Venezuela, to take a stand now, against the uh, military invasion uh, against Venezuela. And and I think that members of parliament, for example, the NDP or others, even though parliament may not be in session, I think that the members of parliament have to speak out now against uh, what's been going uh, going on now. A U.S.-led, another attempted uh, military interference invasion of Venezuela, as well as the mainstream media. How can the mainstream media be silent at such an issue of a military intervention in Venezuela, which not only would be would be harm and bloodshed to uh, Venezuela, but the whole region, the whole region south of the Rio Grande, this risk to go up in flames and chaos because of American intervention in a similar way as happened, for example, in, in Southeast Asia when the United States uh, carried out this war against Vietnam. And I, I, I think that, you know, people on the left who may be wishy-washy about Venezuela, you know, whether left, right, or center, Venezuela has a, an elected, legitimate government. And secondly, the United States and Canada have no right to interfere in the internal affairs of this uh, sovereign uh, country. And most importantly at all, have no right to organize any kind of military intervention, military provocation against Venezuela. So if you don't mind, I'll be using 
Latin waves here today to, to issue a challenge to uh, uh, members of parliament in Canada, mainstream media, to people on the left or center or whatever, to find out what's happening, take a stand against military intervention in Venezuela that is being supported in a very indirect, hypocritical way by the Trudeau government. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the significance also that this invasion, this military invasion, came from Colombia a country that Canada has, in recent years, become very closely allied. Yes. And, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the context, because uh, as far as Latin Americans are concerned, Colombia is one of the most dangerous countries in the world and one of the deadliest for uh, labor activists. Uh, I'm glad that you raised it, Sylvia, because it brings out another aspect of this whole puzzle. What is Canada doing? In this whole um, uh, plot against Venezuela, aside from, from uh, Trump, the main actors are Canada and Colombia. Now, uh, the Americans are saying very clearly that not, they are not going to send American troops into Venezuela. They'll be counting on Colombian troops. Now, it's very interesting that on the one hand, um, uh, even though uh, Justin Trudeau has a phone number of the foreign minister of Venezuela, Jorge Arias, that he could call any time to try to uh, work out relationship, friendly relations, normal relations with Venezuela. Rather than that, how many times has Trudeau called Ivan Duque, the president of Colombia, uh, to uh, congratulate each other on the great de- the work that they're doing with regards to COVID-19, supposedly, or with regards to human rights and all that? Well, as you say, Colombia, and it's no for a long time, Colombia is the worst country in terms of violation of human rights. Just in, in 2020, which just began, just in two, uh, 2020, there's been 33 massacres and 97 assassinations this year. Most of them are social and political leaders. And we have to hold responsible for this who? It's the, it's the Ivan Duque government in Bogota. And in two, 2016, since the peace agreements were reached between uh, uh, Colombia and, uh, and the armed forces there with the help of, uh, of uh, Cuba and Havana, there have been 971, I repeat, 971 social leaders who have been assassinated in Venezuela since that time in 2016. So what right does Colombia have to talk about violation of human rights in Venezuela? And what right does Canada have? Surely he does not have a mandate from us Canadians to forge such close relations with a country whose hands are spilled in the blood of the Colombian people. I mean, they keep up making one pretext after the other. One of the pretexts for the most current uh, attempt to invade in the next couple of months is the so-called issue of COVID-19. They say that COVID-19 is very uh, uh, rampant in Venezuela and it's affecting other countries. People are leaving Venezuela. This is a blatant law. Venezuela is the only country in the world where people who have left in the last few months because of COVID-19, countries such as Colombia, but have decided to come back because the situation in other countries such as Colombia is so bad that they're far better off in Venezuela, and the, the, the actual COVID situation is far superior 
in Venezuela compared to other countries such as Colombia. They're, they're so-called concerned, like Trudeau, the, the uh, liberal poster boy, Trudeau, so concerned about COVID-19 and other countries and all that. Venezuela is one of the best countries in the world dealing with COVID-19. Now, it's interesting to know that's one pretext. But there's also another pretext. And the, the other pretext is supposedly Venezuela is getting arms from Iran, from Belarus, uh, and other countries, from Russia, uh, being uh, imported from these countries into Venezuela. This is also being said without any foundations. In fact, I, I saw an interview with uh, uh, Nicolas Maduro on television yesterday. He has a very good sense of humor, by the way. <laughs> but when he, he heard about it, that uh, 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 that Venezuela is supposedly uh, importing missiles from Iran. Iran, he said, well, hey, that's a good idea. Okay, thank you very much. We'll look into it. If we have money, we may buy some missiles from Iran to defend ourselves. But how come uh, there are two different pretexts? One, COVID-19, and the other is supposedly uh, arms within Venezuela or nar narco traffic trafficking within Venezuela. How can you have two different pretexts? Because both pretexts are false pretexts. The United States and, and Colombia, with the aid and abetting of Trudeau, are seeking pretexts for a possible military intervention with Colombian troops and, and, and mercenaries into Venezuela. And we have to put a stop, we have to do everything we can to get people in Canada to stand up against this intervention now. Canada already has a very poor uh, image internationally. It is for this reason that uh, Trudeau suffered a humiliating defeat. So I've been reading all of the uh, tweets and printouts and statements by the Canadian government since the uh, June elections to the United Nations Security Council. Believe it or not, they are so arrogant. They keep on talking about Canada's role in the world, how Canada's going to do this. They, they completely disregard the fact that the international community has rejected Canada's foreign policy because of Venezuela, because of Palestine, and many other issues. And what you said, the extraction of mining uh, minerals, for example, in countries such as, uh, 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 such as Africa. But they're just pretend that that vote didn't take place. It also is important that one of the reasons that Canada lost, I am convinced, because we, Canadian Foreign Policy Institute and other allies that work with us and still work with us now, we led a very important campaign in Canada, as well as internationally, against Canada's bid for a seat on the United Nations. But they, just, they lost. It was a humiliation. But they are so arrogant. They just keep on carrying on as if they never lost that vote, as if they have a mandate to be a leader on the world stage. And I think that the media should speak out. Hey, Trudeau, how come you're not dealing with the fact that you lost the United Nations Security Council vote, but you are pretending that you did not lose it? You're even going farther along the path of intervention, for example, on the issue of Venezuela and also supporting uh, Israel against um, against Palestine. And I wanted to mention, you mentioned the issue of, of extraction, of, of uh, extractivism. That is really important. It's also important in Canada. The, the same goal that Trudeau has of, of driving a foreign policy to, to get a hold of the resources, as Ariaka said very clearly last week when he spoke to people across Canada, is to get Venezuela's natural resources and within Canada, what is the situation? It's the same thing. 
The imperialism, external imperialism is matched by its domestic colonialism, whereas the Canadian government is a colonial government, white supremacist colonial government going back several centuries, which is based on the uh, genocide of the indigenous people in Canada in order to get their lands and now more recently to get the extract the uh, natural resources that are under the in the land of the uh, indigenous peoples in Canada. So we're, we're really dealing with two types of uh, a, a fight on, on the question of extractivism on two different fronts. One is colonialism in Canada and imperialism abroad. And I think we have to get to the heart of the issue. We have a lot of strong allies amongst the indigenous uh, nations, and I would like to use the opportunity greetings to Indigenous brothers and sisters all over the countries who are doing a great job. If we recall, before COVID-19, actually, we together, Indigenous and other people, we shut down Canada. That was great. We shut down Canada in support of the land rights of the Indigenous nations. If it wasn't for COVID-19, who knows what would happen. But that is part of our history, and we have to maintain, and mind you, that very strong position. We support the uh, indigenous nations and their right to their land. And if we have to, we will shut down Canada once again. So there's no way that we could forget about what has happened in Canada with regards to the indigenous nations over the last 450 years. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, that documentary that was done, an excellent documentary on the so-called Oka crisis on the 30th anniversary. It was aired on TV um, uh, a couple of months ago, and I watched it about three, four times. So again, I was so impressed. And what I remember, I will never forget, spontaneous, spontaneous from the grassroots. One of the uh, 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 indigenous people was interviewed by the uh, documentary filmmaker. And what, what he said is very, very important. He says, you, speaking about the Canadian government, you lied to us about this. You lied to us about everything except one thing. The only promise you kept was that you are going to take our land. And that's what you have done. And he said, that is what we are fighting against. I think it's a, a question of principle. And we, in the same way, we have to support Venezuela against U.S. imperialism. We have to support the indigenous nations against Canadian, Canadian colonialism. Thank you again for being with us. It's a pleasure. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.